Welcome to episode 114 of The Endless Stream. I'm Aiden, and this week I am joined by Chris. We are two film nerds in this instance, just talking about movies. Each week we take some of the endless stream of content brought to you through Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, Spotify, Disney+, Amazon Prime. Wherever you get your content, we take a chunk of it, we watch it, and we talk about it. This week in particular, we're talking about the movies of M. Night Shyamalan. We're talking about some upcoming films. We're also talking about early 90s virtual reality sci-fi films, Virtuosity, The Lawnmower Man, and Johnny Mnemonic, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. I think Wes Anderson comes up at some point as well. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to the podcast, heading over to Spotify, heading over to iTunes, rating, reviewing, liking, subscribing. All of those good things really help us out. On top of that, you can head over to Instagram at The Endless Cast, and we put up art and clips to go with each episode. That's a great place to send us a message, suggest something for us to watch, disagree with our opinions, put forth the opinions of your own. It's a good place to get in touch with us. Or you can send us an email at theendlesscast at gmail.com. All of that being said, let's get into the episode. Unique New York. Unique New York. Big boobies. And with that, we start the episode. Uh, this is a shortened episode in what well, slightly different circumstances. Brian and Kevin weren't available this week. Aiden and Chris are going camping, so we're taking some time before the trip to talk movies. <laughs> um, who are you going to tell all your Chicago adventures? Who to? am I going to tell all my Chicago? Since adventures? I'm here, and I already know, and I. I'm certain the listener doesn't care. <laughs> and I already know about it. And you don't care. <laughs> I'm, I'm there for most of it, so I... I well, that's why we're able correct. to cut... Correct, yes. I don't care. <laughs> that's why we're able to cut this episode in half. <laughs> we really shortened the runtime by stop talking about Chicago. Yep. And start talking about M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes, this is this is the, the Shyamalan episode. Uh, we watched and talked about Knock at the Cabin a couple of episodes ago. And Chris and I were talking about the career of M. Night Shyamalan here. And we thought we'd take a... Do a dedicated episode. The, I guess the key question I have... That? We're doing the whole thing on M. Night? Well, we'll talk about other stuff as well. But, like, I guess the key question I have is... What did you think of old? Let's start there. Let's start there. Well... It didn't seem like you enjoyed old. No. The 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 question that spurred this off is, after... <laughs> is M. Night a good director? Basically. After The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and uh, Signs which were all fairly well-received and were actually fairly strong, it does feel like he, like... Like, people did not like the village. People hated the lady in the water. The some happening was dog the shit. People liked, some people liked the village. Some people liked the village. Uh, then The Last Airbender, After Earth. And then the question is, like, that's 2015 and it's 2023, and it does seem like with the knock of the cabin... That he started to dig himself up, and the question kind of was like, when did that happen? He's been digging himself up well before Knock at the Cabin, I would argue. Yes, but Knock at the Cabin seems like the one where he got out of the hole, if that makes any sense. But with that in mind, I then watched Old with you last night, Mm. and that is fucking mucky. Uh, I mean, it's based on a graphic novel. Is it? 
It is. Oh. Which is in the credits. Um, but the, I was busy laughing during the credits. The the movie, the dialogue is so wooden at every step of the way. Yeah. Tell, did you like Walt? You liked old. I love his movies. Okay. <laughs> Go uh, on. <laughs> I I think it's incorrect to watch one in a silo. I think the reason that he's having a bit of a resurgence is that he has patterns to his movies and people like those patterns and people are rooting for him ever since he did The Visit, which is when I think uh, this new cult of M. Night that is appearing is starting. I'm saying appearing. Mm. I am a part of. I don't know how many people are a part of it, but I know that there's at least a small groundswell of people who think that after... All of the studio input of After Earth and Last Airbender and The Happening, where he lost all his credibility. He started to bring that credibility back with The Visit. That was his main one, where he... I guess the thing I'm really getting stuck on is that he more than stuck on in a good way, is that he was... He turned around and said, I'm fed up of all these notes. I don't want to be... Part of the studios, just like, oh, I get this input, I get that input, I change my movie based on that. And... He made The Visit, and that was in 2015, and then uh, he's been uphill ever since. And The Visit was like a low-budget horror movie that he did with like comedy elements that I don't think any studio would have let him get away with. There's a lot of uh, small white child rapping, um, which is difficult to watch. Uh, but it's good. It's a good, solid horror movie, super low-budget. Uh, and then he used the profits off that. Because it made, like, M. Night money on a new M. Night budget. And he used the profits off that to direct Split and direct Glass and direct Old and direct Knock at the Cabin. All of which he's paying for by himself and is not getting influenced by anyone else. And for better or for worse, the ham-fisted dialogue, the weird choices, it's all his. It's not some studio exec has pushed this on him. I'll pause there. <laughs> does that does that explain? Does that make it better that they're bad? It's it kind of puts them in a category of director though, like Kevin Smith or like Ed Wood, where you're like, these are crap, but I love that somebody's got the creative freedom to pursue and make the things they want to make. And once you embrace that, you see the joy in the filmmaking of it, mm-hmm. but. It's still like, whoa, these are rough. But you, you you, have to, like... Here's a distinction I will make between Kevin Smith and M. Night, though. is Kevin Smith is making movies for his fans. And then his fans watch the movies. And then it's Jay and Silent Bob, Strike Back, Part 2, Clerks 3. He's just building on the same stuff over and over again. The other element... Like, I like the entrepreneurial spirit that M. Night has... I like the kind of punk rock attitude that he has where he's like, I don't know notes. I just want to make the movie I want to make. But the other side of it is he's making unpredictable movies. If I watch a Kevin Smith movie, I can say it's going to have Jay and Silent Bob. It's going to have this cast of characters. I like M. Night's movie because they're all unique. Knock at the Cabin is an interesting story that has nothing to do with old. And both of them are interesting stories. And I like going to see them in the cinema 
and sitting with a large audience of people and just being like, I could not tell you what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes of this movie. Whereas Kevin Smith, I don't think, has the same thing. Mm. Silent Bob will not talk until he does. Yeah. He had a minute with, like, Tusk and Red State where he was... Red State was cool. I liked that. Yeah. And he said, I remember watching an interview with him and he said in Red State, as soon as you start to figure out what's going on, I want to be, I want to change that. Yeah. And I think he does that ultimately to a fault, but it's like good up until the last three quarters. And then I think it just didn't land for me, but I like that. That's, I want more of that Kevin Smith. I don't want more of Kevin Smith, like fan service. Yeah. It's, I wonder what we're going to get from Kevin Smith in the next couple of years as well, though. Like, I'm, I know I'm slightly changing the thing, but like, I don't know. Like, he was coming up with weird ideas off the back of podcasting, and then he got really, like, he started being commercially viable as, like, a TV director, and he was also smoking a lot of weed, and now he's been through, I don't know, heart attack, TV presenter, mental health issues. What TV shows he presenting? He was presenting a lot of, like, E! Hollywood... And like after this show and after that show, and like he, Mario Lopez, yeah, he became a sort of like uh, man on your hotel TV. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, a lot of Comic Con stuff. Um, so I am hoping that maybe he'll get back to the Tusk Red State type of stuff where he was doing interesting things. But I also feel like he's writing. What you know did he who do? Is he is getting back to that sort of stuff. Though. Yes, let's bring it back. Knock uh, at the cabin's great. Like if. Old is dodgy, mm. but is an interesting premise. Beach makes it old. Spoilers. Beach makes it old. Loop the beach makes them old. And it just plays with a bunch of ideas. I heard you were, when we were watching it, as bits were like teeing up, mm. you know, like he's playing with the idea of cells getting old very fast on a very specific beach. And he's calling stuff out pretty ham-fisted. There's people looking at stuff being like, I wonder if it's the rocks, and that's kind of all the explanation you get. It, mm. is, the, it is the rocks. It's, it's not it's about the rocks. the rocks. But at least that's a it's an interesting idea that he follows through to the very end with a somewhat satisfying conclusion that at least kind of makes sense. And then... Sorry, you know, if explain keeps, that again. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, just, you just said somewhat makes sense. It does make sense. Which bit? The reason for the beach and the reason for them all getting stuck on the beach and the reason that they went through the thing that they went through. Okay. Getting old fast. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I'm not saying the premise of them getting old fast is ever explained or makes sense, hmm. but the the motivation behind it and its continued entrapment of bewildered tourists is kind of explained. Yeah. And that was, I think, I think I'm think i hoping that old is the start, you know, the kind of glass and split or him doing his Kevin Smith thing. Yeah, that's interesting. That's got to be still tied with studios, right? Because somebody owns, you know, the rights to Unbreakable. The MCU. M. Night Shyamalan Cinematic Universe. Yep. Right. Is that taken? MNSCU. Mm. Yeah. Let's just see if he can have MCU. They seem to be done with it. <laughs> Uh, but then Knock at the Cabin is, I think, a little wacky at the end. Like, yeah, I was thinking about this last night after Old, because 
you commented that his dialogue spends so much time explaining people's people's careers. He really gets hung up on people's jobs. Yeah. In old, it's this kid going around, and I saw people complaining about it, but the kid is definitely, you know, on the spectrum autistic, and he's wanting to know stuff about people, so he's going up and asking their job. I had no problem. I don't know, because by that same measure, every other human in that movie is, like, they've got the same degree of... They're identified by their jobs. I am a doctor. But they've got the same degree of um, conversational style. Yeah, just like I'm a psychologist. My sister's also a psychologist. I want to get back. We had a fight. It's not something important anyway. No. Okay, buddy. I'm just trying to enjoy the beach. Here. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that in relation to Knock at the Cabin because once you pointed that out, it's a better format for it because these four assailants really do want to tell and explain who they are and why they're doing what they're doing one person at a time. And there's this kind of like, like church, like testify, you mm-hmm. know, like who am I, why this matters, why I'm doing this. Ultimately, un- I think it does matter in knock at the cabin. Yes, but they do very, they, they just literally stand in front of you and tell them their life story um, in that way. But it works there it works. because the way it's structured. Um, but, He's trending in the right direction. Old, it was unnecessary, and I think it's him leaning on a crutch of, I, these people have jobs, and those jobs inform what they're bringing to the old beach. It yeah. knock at the cabin. It shows up, and it's like an, it's kind of an integral part to the story. Mm-hmm. Without giving spoilers for it, like their jobs are, do play an important part on it. Not only given their background, but also ultimately. His ending to that. It does feel like old needed, and I'm just checking this now. Uh, it needed like another pass of writer. You know what I mean? It needed somebody else to do a, a pass on the script. And uh, let's see. Uh, it's just him. It's not just him, but it's. Uh, I'm just checking if it's native English speakers because Frederick Peters just has uh, European films on his. Yeah, so it's... and he's writing that family, the family that are having the. There's yeah. a family going and going through a divorce, and they're they're taking the kids to the, to, to a beach, to enjoy time as a family before they announce the divorce and they announce the mother's uh, brain tumor or whatever. So pick the wrong beach. It might be a bit reductive. But there are three writers on Knock at the Cabin and three writers on Old. And M. Night is on both of them. But on Old, the two co-writers are European with French language films as their... Like, basically, English is not their first language. But that's what I'm and saying. And that you dialogue see, is stiff. And you can see that in the couple's relationship. Yeah. Like, that is... Those are two... Also, Gal Garcia Bernal, like, these are two non-native English speakers as well. Speaking English written by non-native English speakers. Um, and uh, it just you're not coming to an M. Night movie for the interpersonal dynamics of the characters. You're coming for the fun idea. And so if, if they to, if, to explain the idea, they have to go and they have to say, I'm a nurse, ten times on the beach, which your man from Lost does. 
You are so obsessed with the future. Our relationship is now. We need to feel like now. I will forgive the cardboard. You are so obsessed with the past just because you work in a museum. (laughs) If you need to talk like that to explain your wacky idea, I'm on board with it. I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. I'll take a fun idea that is explored correctly over uh, keep ragging on Ant-Man, but like... Those are professional big actors, you know, yeah. and they can't even make it fly. So I will take, if, if we can just, if we take all the stiff dialogue and take it off the board, it's just a fun idea about a peach that makes you old. And it explores all that in the various ways that you could possibly be like, if I was stuck in an old beach, what would happen to me? What happens if I had a disease or what yeah. happens if I had a baby or what happens if I'm a teen or what happens if I'm an old person? Yeah. I death mostly. <laughs> it's mostly death. Mostly death. Yeah, I will say, I kind of I, when I saw the trailer for old and I heard the pitch of old, I thought dog shit. I have no interest in this at all. What? I really thought it looked fucking horrible. You watched and I watched and I watched old, and I was pleasantly surprised. I did enjoy. Their interactions, I enjoyed the the different ways their beach affected all of them. Mm. Mostly my issues were just like, like, I know these are good actors, but... Oof. Are they? Uh, Rufus Sewell's good. He's worked for years. I've enjoyed him in most things. Gal Garcia Bernal, I feel like he's got Oscar nominations against him. Um, like, they are not shit. You know what I mean? Like... Um, who's the kid who played the older? I don't know why I'm looking at your screen. Trent, age six. Yeah, Alex Wolf, Trent, 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 aged fifteen. Spoilers: He gets older. Yeah, I don't like. I don't. I think these are good actors. I just think they. Um, and Rufus Sewell's breakdown was very well performed, right? Mm-hmm. Like. That that er- erratic thing he brought to that was great, and I pointed it out like they could have done a couple of extra takes. I understand. I, I'm conceding that the dialogue is tough for any tough of those sledding. actors to deliver, and then also the performances that they picked to include in the movie, maybe not the best. Hmm. Not that I'm, I guess I am offering this up as defense, but it is a COVID movie. Which, you know, made a small cast. I don't know, maybe they're limited on how many takes they can do. But given his other movies, given Mark Wahlberg's takes in The Happening, I actually think that M. Night is watching this footage and going, yep, that's good. Lunch. We'll take lunch. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's all because of his COVID movie, but I think it's even more impressive that it's a COVID movie. Okay. Knock at the Cabin, unrestrained by a world pandemic. And is better for it. And he's starting to attract Batista. And I think Batista and M. Night are in a similar ballpark where M. Night's coming back from, bouncing back from his ladies in the water and his after earths. And Batista is trying to lay claim to being a uh, legitimate actor. And I like the two, un- those under two underdog situations, although slightly different. I'm glad that they are like helping each other. And M. Knight's like, hey, I've got this role for you. 
I want to squeeze you into a tiny shirt and give you tiny glasses and then make the whole cabin creak as you walk around. Which is great. Like, they make him seem so humongous. And it's not Batista making Drax jokes. So, what did you make of... um what did you make of M. Knight's cameo in Old? Oh, I would... Uh, his cameo in Old is not my favourite. His cameo in Knock at the Cabin is absolutely my favourite M. Knight. That one's fairly tasteful. It's very tasteful. I like he's trying to operate some sort of deep-fried chicken machine in on the TV before the news kicks on. Mm. And it's... It's great. He's, he's had good QVC. cameos Q- in the past. QVC. QVC. Yeah. Does he show up in After Earth, I wonder? Because isn't that just I like... I bet you he does. Because that's... I thought that was pretty much exclusively just Jaden and Will. So the um, the hostess at the hotel in old is Francesca Eastwood. That is Clint's daughter. We also have the hip-hop star Midnight's... What? Mid-sized sedan? Mid-sized sedan. That's... As name choices go... There's always some degree of hip-hop. The Visit has a bunch of, like, this small child rapping a, a fair bit. And Midside Sedan, Midsize Sedan shows up. So, you know, I think M. Night's got some bars. <laughs> and the other thing, yeah, because there's, what is the, more bread for the dough or something was the more dough for the bread. They, like, they, they name check a song. There's a song that they sing in it as well that is sung three or four times and is the title song over the credits. And you didn't like this, but I, I like it because it shows more uh, M. Night bootstrapping his own movies. Did they write it? Did they sing it? Uh, so it is his daughter, Salika, Salika Shyamalan, mm-hmm. um, is the, the singer-songwriter of uh, Remain, I think is the name of the song. And it's it's not good. I know that's uh, could be perceived to be mean or whatever, but like a little girl is singing it as if it's a pop song in the back of a van, and her mother's happy hearing her voice, and mm-hmm. we have no context for what this is. And I don't know if she's doing it well or bad because I don't know what the air should be. And then it's sung later, and like this is if I were to write a song with no musical training. <laughs> The rising and falling and changing of tone in such a basic fashion is mm. about where I would end up. But there's no tune. I understand that. But yeah. if you look at the broader picture... It's tough. It's a profit game. And M. Night can look to a legitimate artist signed by a label and spend money. Mm-hmm. And I'm making the money symbol by rubbing my fingers together. But it's that's expensive. And he could just have his family do stuff there's many Shyamalan's credited at the end of old I noticed more than ever in this movie so he's keeping it in the family he's bootstrapping it he's got his house back yes did he lose his house he mortgaged it and used the money to make the visit and that nest egg has been used to make old and everything subsequent uh, everything past the visit has been paid with house money, and it's and, and that's admirable, and that's part of the like like it's one thing making a film and 
hitting it big and becoming a director. Becoming a feature film director is crazy difficult to do. Mm-hmm. To l- basically lose it and have to start from scratch. He's done it twice. He's, he's done it twice. Yes, he's prestiging. Um, so at the end of the day, uh, I think I'm still very wishy-washy on M. Night Shyamalan's you films. You like Knock at the Cabin? I enjoyed Knock at the Cabin. Okay. Uh, I didn't see Glass. Split was okay. After Earth... I mean, I like a shitty sci-fi movie, but... No, we don't have to talk about that. We don't have to talk about that. Um, Devil, he just wrote? No, he produced Devil, but I don't think he was that involved with it. I don't think that cancels on his. Okay. He's involved. Yeah. They put his name in the trailer. But that's what they were producing this movie. Okay, so we can can we round out the discussion on M. Night Shyamalan by basically saying... Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Just root for Just him. Just root for people. Just root for him. You don't have to like his movies. Just root for him. Or go see it in the cinema with a large crowd and every, watch everyone. Just go, what the fuck? In the middle of the <laughs> um, I, w- I mean, I was in the theater when the trailer for Devil came up. And when From M. Night Shyamalan came up on screen, mm. the entire room groaned. groaned. Okay, well, when I saw Knock at the Cabin trailer premiere before, I'm not going to remember, uh, whatever I saw the trailer for Knock at the Cabin for, I was pumped about it before they even did the M. Night Shyamalan thing. I love uh, a premise. Mm. I don't want, you know, I don't need an extended universe. I just want a fun premise idea. And when the Knock at the Cabin thing, and he was just like, one of you is going to have to kill the other. I was like, great, I'm sold. Yeah. Okay. Do we know what he's working on next? There's an upcoming section. What's the next thing? Untitled M. Night Shyamalan Project 2024. The Watchers. He's just coming up with it. He's just coming up with the top of this... Top of, top top of the dome. dome. Scary lamp. Scary lamp. Okay. M. Night. Jesus, what is that photo? Oh, yeah, this is Italy. Sorry. Um, I was there, too. Uh-huh. I was there, too. Look at you. <laughs> we did a, a sci-fi movie double bill the other night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did. I was there, too. We watched 1995, Johnny Mnemonic. I do like good movies. I... <laughs> <laughs> There's good movies I like too, but I think Johnny Mnemonic rules because it's a good like. I think this actually fits in the theme of M Night. I don't like a movie that is attempting to be bad and is like, look how bad I am. So I'm talking about like Sharknados or Sharkalanch or uh, did yeah. I say Sharknado or those naff. Look at us. Look how bad we are. Like Piranha 3D. Mm. I'm struggling to think of them. But like, you know, you see them on like, they're in the back corner of Tesco. Yeah. Those movies attempt to be bad. Yeah. They're like, look how bad we are. I can't watch an intentionally bad movie. Cocaine Bear. I think that even falls into it. Flashy title. Cheap budget. Get people in seats. Get the money off them. Get enough money to make another one. You don't think that's trying to be funny? I think that I think Cocaine Bear is actually trying to be funny. I guess I, my real problem is with the with the fake B movies. Yeah. Whereas Johnny Mnemonic 
and other movies of its ilk, I want movies that attempted to be really, really good movies and then just missed the mark. But they, you know, they try their hardest. And I think Johnny Mnemonic is like an interesting swing at a dystopian future. And uh, watching it this time, I didn't notice all the influences from influences on the matrix like there's so much stuff in that movie that shows up then in the matrix and you said that it was the wachowskis got a bunch of influence from yeah so the i mean i'm just getting that off the wikipedia but it basically said that the wachowskis name checked johnny mnemonic in terms of some visual and conceptual stuff Mm. and like mnemonic has william gibson as a as a you know a writer as a a source and like that's you know that's sci-fi uh, that, that's some sci-fi heritage, and I can be your I can be your Aiden. Do you want to explain to the listeners what the movie's about? Oh boy! Um, so <laughs> the movie is about a time in the near future where information is trafficked. Huh? I don't know what you're Because I'm trying to just butt kill time. <laughs> um, uh, information is trafficked through couriers called mnemonics. It doesn't need a voice, is what I'm saying. The storyline is so crazy that I'm not I don't. But <laughs> this is me querying. Um, Johnny, no last name, is a mnemonic. That's what they said. Mm-hmm. He basically has a big USB drive in his head. Mm-hmm. People put information in his brain, mm-hmm. and he has to get from point A to point B with it. He has. Uh, uh, I think he says he has 160 gigs of space in his brain. I was saying he it puts was 30 gigs. I was totally wrong. It was 160 gigs. And he puts 300 gigs in. And That's his much. brain is uh, melting because of it. And he has like 48 hours to get that information out of his head. The disease that he suffers from, from injecting too much data into his uh, brain, is called synaptic seepage. Ooh. And the symptoms are going, ah! And like pressing your hands into your eyeballs uh, at key plot points. Like mm. when he needs to do something, then he gets hit by that synaptic seepage. Yeah. It's got some cool stuff with like... Okay, they're playing with fashion. They're playing with like class. You know, they've got upper mm-hmm. lower class. They've got low techs that aren't using the technology. They've got uh, a working class of people that are uh, affected by the you know, the environmental fallout of this technology is they've got NAS, which is a, a, a degenerative nerve. It's a degenerative thing. nerve disease spread by, I guess what Jim Core has been on about, like 5G towers. The people that, because they live in such a high tech world are being impacted by the technology surrounding them. That's giving them this debilitating disease. There, There's fashion and sexuality stuff in like 1995. Like he's got... One of these gangsters has trans bodyguards. I think one of them was trans. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's a a very progressive view of the of the world. Yeah, with the like one way. Yeah, it's got that bound Matrix Wachowski's leather sex club leather. A lot of sex club vibes. Um, The future is going to be really horny, Mm -hmm. but also dying, which is not wrong. Um, I think it's set in twenty twenty one. It is. It is. It is set in the past now. It it is definitely one of those films as well that like has the like nineties VR thing where he like he's got power gloves and a, a visor and there's a lot of like he has to like punch his way into the internet. <laughs> you know, like it's not just it's not like the AOL like beeper, but like he has to put the gloves on and the visor and then to navigate he's basically like swimming around. Yeah, and at at one point where they go to like 
radio shack and he's picking up equipment. They've got like the stealth attachment. They've got this. They've got that. Right. And then he just says, get me one of those iPhones. It's like. <gasps> right. Yeah. I remember we all looked at each other when he said iPhone. Yeah. 1995 iPhone. He also said eight other things he before did. that, which were like, give me a stealth module CPU expander. And you're like, okay. And the iPhone was a big old red head, head handset. With like, <laughs> it looked like the presidential red phone, yeah. right? Like that was the iPhone was just a regular. But it just phone. had a keypad built onto the top of it as well, so he could like just type in his numbers and then hold his phone phone up to his head, and that was that was the iPhone. We, they called it. They, I mean, good job, William Gibson. Good job, Johnny Mnemonic. Um, I guess it's an old movie, so we can Dolph spoil it. Oh yeah. Which Dolph are you referring to? Because there's two oh. Dolphs in the movie. There's oh, Dolph Lundgren, who plays a, a hitman. A hitman who's chosen his theme. Uh, very thematic hitman. Uh, he goes by... Does he just go by Jesus? Street Preacher. Street Preacher. He I think someone calls him Gene Jesus. or something at one point, you know? Okay. Like the guy who hires him is like, don't let me down, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> He has a big blonde beard, and he wears the whole Jesus getup, like the robes and everything. One red robe, one white robe, and he stabs a bunch of people with crucifixes. Yeah. And, and that's Dolph Lundgren, now, who is playing it, you know, like this is his big break. You know, I think there's a lot of people in the movie who are like, yeah, we're here, whatever. But this is Keanu post-speed. This is, you know, a high... You can tell it's a big budget movie. So mm-hmm. he's obviously swinging for the fences, but he is dressed as Jesus going around impaling people. And, it uh, does feel like somehow he got it in his head that this was his big character piece. That's what I'm saying. He, he's playing it with a level of enthusiasm that makes you think, this is it. I'm going to be known for this. Is Dolph Lundgren like, better than we think he is? Because I'm trying to think, of, if you think about his like first appearance in like Rocky Four, and he's playing that Russian wall, mm. I will break you, this, this, this thing. If you think about Universal Soldier, again, he's this, Viet- mm. I guess that's still dead they're silence, isn't it? A, they're putting him in a little box, you know, yeah, where he silence. doesn't have to do much. Um, he's doing a lot in this. That's why had- I'm wondering, did they let him out of the box? You know, Universal Soldier, just be a tight-lipped soldier. Uh, you know, in Rocky, be a tight-lipped boxer. A Russian boxer. And in this, they're like, okay, we'll let you out of the box. You're a hitman who's Jesus Christ. He goes around and he asks people for forgiveness and stuff. Did you ever see Showdown in Little Tokyo? No. No. Um, I was like... <laughs> it seems like three movies pushed together. Yeah. Um, that is Bruce Lee's kid, Brandon Lee. I loved this film growing up. It's got Tia Carrera. It's got... Uh, I think it's got Tia... Yeah, um, Dolph Lundgren, Brandon Lee, Tia Carrera, and I was like off the back of The Crow and all the Kung Fu movies, and this was on Sky Movies a lot at the time. Mm. I really enjoyed it. I think it's probably fucking horrible if I was to watch it again. We should watch it. Um, But I guess Dolph was trying things, I guess is where we're at with that. And only the second best Dolph in the whole movie. You said that a second ago. Who's the other Dolph? The do- other Dolph <gasps> is the Dolph. You're do- right. I keep forgetting about the... <laughs> there's a dolphin. <laughs> so Johnny Mnemonic is obviously trying to get this data out of his head. And there's many hackers along the way, including Henry Rollins. <clears throat> he shows up for a little bit. But I'm not getting distracted from this dolphin again. So he... <laughs> all these very... Hackers of varying 
ability are trying to get this data out of his head. And Henry Rollins finally says, you got to go to Toby. He has a pretty regular. Jonesy or something. Jones or something. He was like, he used to be, (laughs) they tease it by saying he used to be in the Navy. And then uh, Keanu's like, okay, yeah, this guy sounds pretty good. And then they get there and it's like a very happy dolphin in a tank with uh, kind of like the visor and the setup. And he's on the internet as well. And uh, he surfs through Johnny's brain and uh, I think solves all his problems. I think so. I mean, what, like, best doll. Flipper to the rescue. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, I think the whole payoff for that was like they had one dolphin model that was in a tank and not really doing much because that was the real world dolphin. But where the dolphin really started doing well is when you do the CGI. You know, that like early 90s lawnmower man style CGI where uh, it's just a mess. It looks like those like Windows 98 screensavers where you go through the maze or whatever. Except in the maze with you is this uh, dolphin. Little little Echo the Dolphin vibes. Um, we should have watched Lawnmower Man as well. We should have watched Lawnmower Man as well. It it Yeah, Johnny Mnemonic is funny because it just feels like they just there's too many good ideas. They are good ideas. They're good sci-fi ideas. They're fun. It's just... They're too and too much too fast. Somebody just thought, this is my one shot. Get everything in it. Yeah. And it was his one shot. Did he make other movies? Not really, that? no. He, he's listed as like an artist. I think it's Roberto Longo. Is that a bad sign? They're listed as artists. No, well, like, like if I look at him now, it, it sort of talks about the rest of his career through the 90s and 2000s as like artists. It's not right. that it's a bad sign. It's just that like... He didn't do much. He made Johnny Mnemonic films and he's like, I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve. Yeah, that was the one. A lot of music videos. Um, But that's his feature film. Yeah, I I think it was a good opener to the double bill. It's not getting better than that. And yeah, then the double bill was a film you hadn't seen before. So do you want to tell us about that one? Yeah. Yeah, it does get a little fuzzy because I've been watching a lot of these early 90s, air quotes, computer movies. Mm. Is it Virtuosity? Stop me if I'm getting any of this wrong. I will. It's got, is it Denzel? Mm-hmm. And uh, Russell Crowe. You know, this was on my radar because I was saying how charming Russell Crowe is. Obviously, as he's gotten older, he's gotten himself into a bit of hot water. But young Russell Crowe, very charming, very witty, very sharp, very handsome. Um, in a pretty boy way that I was not expecting with Russell Crowe, given how gruff. I mean, think of him as was he in he was Zeus in the Thor movie. I'm just trying to paint a picture of what he looks like now versus yeah. like I'd watched uh, L.A. Confidential, which I'd never seen before, and I'd never seen like young hot shit Russell Crowe. Mm. And then I think because I'd said that and how much I enjoyed him in L.A. Confidential, you mentioned this movie, and uh, it was a ride. It was a ride. Again, more like 90s, campy, um, computer sci-fi fair, where I guess Denzel is like a cop who's in a training simulator, and Russell Crowe is the bad guy within the training simulator. Um, and he manages He's to... He's a former cop current convict who's being used as a test subject that's right because there was a lot of scenes that i'd seen in other movies and i can't tell if this was the source or if the other one was the source but it has basically shot for shot and one of the shared actors that scene where sean connery in the rock escapes from the chair 
Mm. And he's like, Godspeed. And he uses that key to like burst out the window. Mm. It's got that little like cell door opening and like shuffling up a hallway in chains. Right. <laughs> well, when Sean Connery shuffles in the chains and he's got the cool haircut, he looks cool and badass. And they're like, oh, they've really turned a rock over to find this guy. And then when Denzel has to do it, I don't know, is this a director's note or just a real attention to realism? Because he's wearing the shackles on his ankle, ankles, he has to do this little, little shuffle. shuffle, which yeah. is hard to describe. Just it's a little eight-inch stride. It's a little... He's doing like a jogging on the spot almost, like a very slow jogging on the spot. And it really took me out of um, the seriousness of the moment because he's doing this little bunny hop basically hmm. as he walks down the corridor. Looking great though, right? Looks great. Yeah, really like, does look even great. Even his like convict self with the beard and the hair. Oh yeah. Great look. No, he really does. I I haven't th- that era Denzel, I guess I haven't seen that many of those movies, but uh he's a good protagonist, you know? He's got that sort of confidence uh and it goes well against Russell Crowe's. Weirdly, he's <laughs> He's forgot. swinging big. He's swinging big because is the plot that he has have he's taken every serial killer so they've they've taken every serial killer's mind and put it into a database and then they combined all those serial killer so i'm talking like hitler i think hitler was mentioned yeah evil evil Evil. john wayne john wayne gacy and hitler those are the two names i remember are in russell crowe's head Mm -hmm. uh and then obviously a whole bunch more but he's sort of like sexy evil as well. Yeah, he's like he's supposed to be a simulator for training police. He's a he's a mm. crime simulator. Mm. But uh, his programmer, Stephen Spinella, is you got that uh, in front of you because I do, <laughs> okay. I do, I do. Um, decides that he he wants him in the real world. I think he now. It was getting late when this happened, but like, doesn't he, he's trying to create a, you know, the woman in red from the matrix. Like he's made some sexy woman in the machine and he's trying to bring her to life. And then Russell Crowe on the computer side swaps himself in for the lady in the red dress. Is that how he gets into the real world? No, there's, I mean, I, I honestly don't know what the motivation was for this programmer character. Mm -hmm. But he just loves evil. And maybe Russell Crowe's simulated evil character is so charismatic. But he talks him into helping him get out of the computer. So he goes to a guy who's working on a separate project, which is nanobot androids, artificial organisms. Yeah. And he says, I want you to take one of my simulated people and make a body for him. And he does that by presenting him with Sheila 3.2, who is so sexy. Yeah. And he wants to make, like, a live action, like, a, a real version. He, he would like a woman to have sex with. Mm-hmm. And, uh... The motivation for so many movies. Indeed. And and basically all of human achievement. But uh, the programmer then swaps out the core of Sheila for Sid 6.7, who is Russell Crowe. And... This horny dude inadvertently creates Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And Russell Crowe, yeah, he goes to work. I forgot about the extra engineer who's brought in. And it also leads to Russell Crowe's character. It's some, it has some vague dependency on glass. Yeah, so the 
any damage or loss to the organism can be replenished by the nanites will consume the the whatever the the silica or whatever it is in glass it's like terminator 2 he can like heal himself but rather than just healing himself because he's made of magic goo he has to like eat glass which like i'm fine with it seems like an extra step but the way that it shows up in the movie is that the way that they track him down at least on two occasions is that there's just like bite marks out of car windows. Do you remember that one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. They're like, he must have gone this way because there's like a hump. There's like a, <laughs> there's like a shoe mark out of a car window that's missing. And There's just some stuff that I was getting a little hung up on. But it was fun and campy until it wasn't. Like some of the violence was, you know, like Johnny Mnemonic, they're chopping people's hands off and they're blowing people's skulls off. But it's kind of campy fun. Mm. This one, like totally was kind of strange because... You know, there's all the campy fun, but then there's moments where the violence is, like, aggressive. And you're like, oh, that is just dead bodies lying around. And they're doing close-ups on the lifeless bodies, and they're moving them around and stuff. And it's just... Well, that is that is a great point. Like, there's a lot of violence in Johnny and Monic, And there's heads taken off, and a lot of people shot. But it's so cartoony. Oh, it's all fun. But the violence in... Virtuosity is really it's quite extreme. Taken, taken aback by some of it. And what's funny there as well is that, like, it's not act, like it's not violent. It's not like there is physical violence, mm. but there's a whole scene where Russell Crowe is just forcing people to scream with guns at their head. You know, and I know it's for a ridiculous purpose, but it's that like genuine terror. Yeah, you know, this person has taken a nightclub a public space hostage with a like i mean we've seen that some of the extras did too good too good a job like i don't some think of they the, did too i don't think it's a they did too good a job i think give the director and the writer and the intent credit they wanted us to feel these people are afraid and that sid was a genuine threat and they did yeah we genuinely felt these people were scared but it's just all over the place because like there's a genuine threat of him and then also there's like he's got a there's a bit where he takes a fistful of glass and eats it like an apple he's the joker it's weird (laughs) okay (laughs) he really is like he's making jokes and doing backflips and he's doing like he's i do one thing if i'm going to take anything away from that movie it's to tell people about if i want to say that i'm very confident about a response (laughs) i want to say that i'm double backflip ready uh are you ready for this? I'm double backflip ready. Because then he just executed a perfect double backflip. Yeah. If I can do that, I can do anything. Can you do that? Mm. <laughs> oh. um. So Lawnmower Man would be the trifecta of early 90s virtual reality. Which is Pierce Brosnan... It's uh, Flowers for Algernon, if anyone is familiar with that sci-fi book. But instead of uh, making a... Or, I guess there's an Always Sunny episode called Flowers for Charlie, where they give Charlie a bunch of experimental medicine that turns him into a genius. And in Flowers for Algernon, they give this uh, rat a bunch of uh, experimental medicine and turn it into a genius. And then in Lawnmower Man... They take the same premise, except I think they use the power of the internet. They plug a bunch of cables into an untastefully simple man's brain and turn him from a simple man. Is simple man okay? 
don't know what you're trying to do. I don't know what the terminology is for, but they take a dum dum to make him smart. They take a dum dum and they supercharge him mm. with the internet, and uh, he becomes clever, and it, it's fine for a while. <laughs> and then, he... yeah, that's exactly what I was picturing. Weird internet-based sex scenes happening. Written by Stephen King. Pierce Brosnan can't seem to get it together. Pierce Brosnan is sort of the scientist who's um, who's pushing everything along, who's, who's been making this guy smart. But who is who is the titular lawnmower man? Jeff Fahey? Playing Job Smith? Job? Joby? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so that's 1992. So that's got a few years on mnemonic. Mm-hmm. I was really hoping for like some sort of like anomalous. These all came out in 1995, kind of things. But uh, Lawnmower Man just has. They definitely go for the CGI a little bit more. It's hotter, newer technology, and I think in um, Johnny Mnemonic they've reined it in a little bit. It's still wacky, but it actually holds up a lot better than if you watch Lawnmower Man. Which is just like bizarre nineties internet know, it future. Does the 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 moment where there's like, okay, the set based stuff okay. all looks pretty good. Okay. Lawnmower yeah. Man gets wacky towards the end where they're in all these big harnesses. Actually, they're in harnesses in uh, virtuosity, virtuosity as yeah. well. This is the harness from Lawnmower Man. It's like a Vitruvian man oh, in a hamster it's, yeah, wheel. Yeah, it's one of them gyroscopy wheels. Is he spinning around in it? He is spinning around in it, and uh, to get into the spinny wheel, they also have to wear Tron suits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where does this place compared to Tron? That's got to be before '92, right? Tron's mid '80s for sure. Yeah, yeah, '82. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't look ten years better than Tron, so <laughs> I don't know what they were doing for ten years, but it was not working on the CGI. The portrayal of him as a simple man is—it's not far off Simple Jack from. It's tough. Tropic Thunder. He's wearing his overalls. He's pushing his lawnmower. It's uh, it's tricky. They made a sequel. They made a number of sequels to this. Lawnmower Man. Yeah, I think it was Lawnmower Man two. There's Lawnmower Man two, and I'm looking at here on IMDb, and like it presented the Lawnmower Man video game as a direct sequel because it came out a year later. Sure, 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 sure. Well, we got to get all of the lore, you know. Yeah, I uh, I think that would, would finish off this uh, triple bill of early 90s internet movies. Web surfing movies. Who? Okay. You know what I'm excited for your you and your regular hosts to talk about? Go on. I forgot my name, but... Describe it? Is it Extraction? Is that what I'm thinking of? Oh, yeah, the Chris Hemsworth yeah. sequel to that. Yeah. I don't know, that didn't go great the last time we talked about it. Um, I did not like the original Extraction. I have a feeling that if I watch it again, maybe it's not as bad as I think. But I also have a feeling that it is as bad as I think. It's just an excuse to run around shooting and killing people, and I didn't like it. I found the lead to be uncharismatic not necessarily Chris Hemsworth but like the character he's playing I don't, I don't give a fuck I don't like that guy at all um, I, I don't like anyone in it I don't like the action 
It's way too long. The ending is dumb. Let's watch Extraction 2. I'll, I I will need to watch Extraction 1 again before we watch Extraction 2. All right. But what's next for Hemsworth? Uh, he's taking a break, isn't he? Because of the almost inevitability of Alzheimer's hitting him. Oh. Did you know that? No. He did a show on Disney Plus that was like looking at like the um the the it was looking at like man's physicality is amazing. I can go surfing, I can go climbing, aren't I great? And it was like looking at like the limits of human possibility. Yeah. And as part of that he did genetic testing. Oh. And they went, Your father has this gene, your oh. mother has this gene, you are five times more likely to get Alzheimer's than anyone else in the population. Oh. And he's I think he that, said yeah. he's taking a little break from whatever he was doing because it's so much time away from his family that if he's not going to remember, you know, like I, I'm, I'm painting a picture now as much as anything else, but you can understand after going. Like, you can't... I thought that was just some bullshit trap. Okay, so, but is the Alzheimer's diagnosis covered in the show? Yeah. Oh. There's no... There's, it's not a diagnosis. No, I know. But it's a, like... He, he got presented with a statistical likelihood. Mm-hmm. And we all know that there's shit coming from us in our genetic, mm-hmm. whatever. Like my family, my dad's got a lot of heart disease. My mother needed hip replacements. Like, you know, this stuff is in your line somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like there's strokes in the family, you know. I did 23 me. It said I was going to go deaf in an ear. My yeah. grandfather was deaf in the same ear. So I figure that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So you kind of know this stuff is coming. But like to actually get someone. Extraction three. To actually get someone to tell you, um, you know what? I'm getting a mix. I'm getting that Chris Hemsworth show mixed up with. I think there was a Zac Efron travel yeah. show yeah. around the same time. I'm not which. I'm not sure which one of them is deep impact in this scenario, but uh, the Hemsworth one's way later. Like the okay. this Efron one, I think it's almost on like you know they did a season two two years apart, and mm-hmm. then the the Disney Plus one came out with Hemsworth. But um, that is what I know of Hemsworth's current activities. Uh, I think last I heard he said he was taking a little break. Mm-hmm. He's doing, like, obviously he's promoting this film and anything else he's got in production and he's got that health, like that fitness business he was doing as well. You can train with Chris with some app or something. I'd like to see him settle into uh, just a good action star role. You know, He hasn't really got it, does he? Extraction. The extraction franchise, Extractiverse. He was. <laughs> they got to keep getting them out of places. He was talk. There was talk for a fourth Star Trek movie where he would return as Kirk's father. Oh yeah, because there's a lot of time travel in the Star Trek universe. Um, but who knows at this point? Did you see? I know you saw. You saw Into the Spider Verse, Across the Spider Verse. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. You loved it. Any thoughts? Any questions? Any queries? Um, I like that in one scene in the Spider-Verse uh, that is in the trailer, you know, there's lots of spider people running around the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best thing about seeing it in the cinema was I love seeing superhero movies in the theater and getting the audience reactions. Mm-hmm. And uh, Spider-Verse 2 had the best audience uh, outcry when running through the Spider-Verse area. I don't want to spoil what kind of spider person they saw, um, but it was a very unique, specific 
uh, Cretaceous spider person. <laughs> and the person across the cinema just went, oh my god! <laughs> Which is exactly why you go to the theater. You like the, the audience interaction. I like audible gasps during, uh, you yeah, know, that's why I like the M. Night movies. Those are usually aren't gasps. Those are usually like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it was beautiful. I really enjoyed it. I liked all the... I know you guys were talking about the animation style changing. Um, that didn't bother me so much. Like, I kind of... Didn't ass- bother me. I just... Uh, I didn't get hung up on it as big word. I liked... I liked the representation of all the different uh, different universes. And I kind of just figured that it was like a visual representation. Like, I didn't think that the paper vulture was actually made out of paper. You know, I thought that... I don't know. They're, they're seeing each other... They're all in the same universe, but they're all still tied to their old universe. So they're, maybe they're being represented in a different way in this universe. That's, you know, I, I don't actually think he's made a paper. But um, that was great. What's that? A tough cop, a dead lawyer. Every partnership has its problems. Bob Hoskins, Denzel Washington, heart condition. I have never heard of that film. Sorry, I got distracted. Where? Okay. Sorry. Um, okay. the, you're going to get into on the Spider-Verse thing. You saying, I didn't think he was actually made of paper, it's just how he's perceived, mm. is basically going to be, you know, for Brian's point, part of the discussion. It's like, is he made of paper? Isn't he made of paper? You think he is. I, think I he's thought not, he was. I don't think he's made of paper. My Where I arrive at the end of the day is it doesn't actually matter, and we shouldn't get hung up on it, whereas Brian's point seems to be, you have to be able to answer these questions. I don't think you do. I'm okay answering and I don't think he's made a paper. Okay, and I answer he is. Okay. Because, I mean, like enough paper pushed together is a tree. It's going to be heavy. <laughs> Where are the lines on the paper coming from, though? Where are the construction lines coming from on Miguel? It's all very silly. The universes are weird. But, like, I also, I can see both arguments at different moments, mm-hmm. you know? Like, when when they go back to the 67 one, they all perceive each other as 67-style animation. Mm. You know, we see that in the very last scene of Into the Spider-Verse. 3D CG Miguel pops back and he changes his perception. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was you or Brian that said that seeing, you know, as you get to a new universe, if the sky is completely different, yeah. that that would be your first question. Like, why is the sky super different? Mm. But, like... You know, in that first movie, they have a week of, you know, she's running around that universe for a week before she meets him. So I feel like she's had some time to acclimatize to it. And she's also met a small talking pig. So maybe the sky, you know, I understand the sky as like a big thing, but a few different colors versus a small animated pig. That's part of my thing. Yes, you might have first questions, but by the time we meet these people, they've been here a while. I'm just so curious how they plan to do any of this. Because it does seem like they're really tight. Because there was, in that Spider-Verse movie... Mm. I guess uh, if you haven't seen it, there are spoilers ahead. But they see the um, that sacred timeline is in the. Do you think that that's just them nodding at like okay the end of that Venom movie? They open up the portal and it's almost like Sony is like peering in to the MCU, seeing all their success, seeing that Spider Man, 
the three spiders all doing their thing. Is that the second Venom movie? The second Venom movie at the end, he like sees the portal open up and sees all the spider people having a fucking great time. And then he's just hanging out in a bar on a beach. And I think that's as close as that's going to get. But in this one, it felt like they were trying to make more of an effort to to layer spider animations over the sacred timeline where the sacred timeline is this blue white stream of events and then the spider timeline is a red web of canon events so yeah you mentioned this as well and i think that it's i think because sony and marvel are there's this overlap there are shared concepts that they want to nod to one another, that I don't think they necessarily have to interact with each other. So the sacred timeline that you see in the Loki show, which is where we're talking about the sacred timeline, is a left-to-right gold mm. line with a glow that I, with various tangents off of it. Whereas the Sony version that Miguel presents is like a tree. It's a vertical line. It grows off white. So... It's definitely playing off a visual language that they're reinforcing because they know we've seen it, most likely, in Loki. Mm. But it's not dependent on you. It's not, you know, it's not tied to the MCU inherently. Um, It's just shared ideas. It absolutely is a shared idea. Like, I mean, by the time we've established this concept of alters and other universes, is it not as gold as I thought it was? It's not gold. Um it's it doesn't these things don't need to interact but like the the sheer concept implies that both can exist or both are existing at the same time or both are part of the same thing loki talking about all the altars yeah if if there's that many spider-mans there's that many lokis in each of those universes we just haven't touched on the animated ones yet i'd be curious if the new loki show shows us a an animated version of them that'd be funny mm. would it be funny or have we seen it five times already but like it's there um, is there anything else you're looking forward to coming up? S- streaming releases? Films? I'm kind of in the doldrums at the moment. Oh. watch a lot of TV, but movie-wise... I didn't even watch The French Dispatch, but that Asteroid City is coming out pretty soon. Um, but I think I may have... You burned out in Anderson? I might be burned out on Wes Anderson. Interesting. He's becoming like a... And I, French I, Dispatch would burn you out on him. So that's why I'm hesitant to watch it. I wouldn't say watch that before Asteroid City. I'm hoping that Asteroid City is a return to a more normal, linear story. It's getting... It's becoming too neo-meta. I loved French Dispatch. I really did enjoy it. But it was more in a like, I just put it on in an afternoon and sat there and just let like five little short kind of concepts wash over you for a while. Um, Is he getting further away from realism though, where it's becoming almost like a a heightened Mm. reality stage show? Yeah, in in that. I I don't know about Asteroid City. I could get most comfortable with that around Grand Budapest. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is getting a little too meta almost but then when i saw french dispatch trailers and stuff like that i was like okay this is getting a little you know like steve zisu is grounded in reality royal tenenbaums is pretty grounded in reality they're fun cartoonish stories but yeah. they're not yeah and, and like zisu um the life aquatic kind of plays with the idea that like 
stuff in the ocean is weird and the way we have to interact with the ocean is weird so you can heighten that pretty quickly you know like the weird little yellow submarines and 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 it's but it's all contained fish. i think that's a good way of looking at it because it's all contained within the ocean yeah anytime there's some weird non-reality moment it's always to do with this little submarine or to do with the fishes uh or the leopard shark or whatever and then as Grand Budapest started happening, I think there's a scene where Willem Dafoe is like furiously riding a little sled through a snowstorm. You know what I'm, you know that scene yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. That's it's escaping the realms of, you know, having it in one place and then it starts bursting out and yeah. it's almost getting a little MC, you know, he's got his own Wes Anderson universe and every celebrity is vying to be a cameo yeah. whether or not they, you know, they put a mustache on him and they give him some sort of weird unique thing and yeah. I, you just start to see the strings after a while and I'm like I'd like you to move on and do something different. Yeah. Like French Dispatch has this moment where we're seeing I think it's Jeffrey Wright as a journalist and he's there to do like a food review. Hmm. But there's a kidnapping takes place and suddenly he's present at a hostage situation. Okay. And a car chase happens. Yeah. And when the car chase happens, it just goes full animation. Like full yeah. 2D animation. Yeah. Is it, sorry, this is French Dispatch? Yes. Okay. And like that animation is funny and it drives all over the city. And But it's like they completely switch to a cartoon for five minutes. And I think that he's honing something. I'm just not interested in what he's honing. Mm. You know, like if his early movies were a, a mix match of the sort of quirky, artsy stuff mixed with a good soundtrack, mixed with mm. uh, some little quirky moments. It's getting more towards, I don't know, it's, he's going off in his own direction. And I, and I respect him for honing it. Yeah, uh, It's just losing me a little. But, but I'm sure it's gaining other people who are interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah. Honing is a tough one as well, because like, it's getting more I don't feel like he's aiming at something. I just feel like he's enjoying what he's able to do. I think he's aiming at doing, like, he's trying to portray, like, the French cinema, you know? Like, he's trying to do these strange camera shots. Not really, uh, not Dutch angles, but he's doing, he's doing something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it. Okay. Uh, No, it's not that I don't like it. I just, I'm not on board. I liked Isle of Dogs. Did you see Isle of Dogs? I did like Isle of Dogs, yeah. I love, uh... But his animation stuff... Fantastic Mr. Fox. His animation if stuff. They do, if they just stick with that and they're like, this is it, but then I'm, I'm on board he, the whole way. He had, he had a very uh, structured, constructed way of making a film to begin with. Mm. And then he made two films where you have to create every single thing, frame by frame, mm. shot by shot, camera move by camera move. It only made him worse if if like when i say worse i mean it's heightened those instincts so yeah. the films that came after it much more cartoon much mm-hmm. more animated much more i don't know i don't know that i want to say storyboarded but i imagine they must be because you have to set up that shot and it has to be deathly sym- symmetrical and um, somebody pointed out in the french dispatch there's a video there where it's like the blinking is synchronized at one point, you know what I mean? Like there's somebody having a conversation, somebody blinks and they all sort of, you know what I mean? Do you think it's fair to say that he's, okay, I'm starting to figure out what I think, what at least what I think he's honing. I think he's honing his filmmaking and he's honing that through animation and it's becoming more rigid, not in a bad way, but everything is, is structured and he's learned from his animation stuff. He's definitely getting away from what I think brought me to it, which was the style plus the characters. And he's not really doing character stuff anymore. Like, Royal is a great character supported by all his subsequent children. 
Mm. I love Darjeeling Limited. I like like the relationship between the three brothers dealing in this sort of uh, fallout of their father's death. And Angelica Hudson is this like mom that doesn't want anything to do with mm-hmm. all that. They're all like very character and Steve Zissou titular, mm-hmm. you know, and now they're getting towards like French dispatch, which is, I don't know, like 20, 30 characters. I don't it didn't um, seem like I cared about any of them. It's I, becoming more, the ensemble of the ensemble cast is becoming like unruly, unruly large. Yes. There is a, like there's this sort of silent line delivery, like just, I have to go very like, like. Silent followed by flatline delivery yeah. thing that's a little losing. Dry. Yeah, and it's becoming all of the characters to a degree. Mm. But that being said, Mr. Gustav in the Budapest Hotel, like Ray finds, I think he's Gustav, right? His his character is fun. He's a good character. Th- this, yeah. like, um, very posh, very structured, very proper. chaotic individual at the same time. Yeah. He's great fun. Um, is the French Dispatch the one after that? I, I mean, so. that that is that's harder to argue the case for great characters in it because there are so many characters. But like mm. Timothy Chalamet's thing is funny, but like the the fifties French student protests thing, it's kind of like it's hard to parse. You're just watching something happen, you know. Um, I've seen all his other movies, and I've had plenty of time to watch French Dispatch, and I just can't bring myself around to watch it and I should, I should. we'll make it happen um, gonna watch Lawnmower Man first talk about character development alright he started at the bottom and now he's he started mowing lawns and then he became the internet a cut above a cut above